morning, everyone. Well, over four years ago, or about four years ago, I started having what I would call a holy discontentment with the amount of joy that many followers of Christ or many Christians in at least North America were experiencing. Uh, I was starting to travel a lot more overseas and seeing, seeing followers of Christ who had much, much less than what we have. They didn't have the cars or the homes or the cable or the HDTVs or, or the vacation homes or anything like that. But what they did have was this underlining joy in their life. And I started wondering, like, what, what's going on? Why, why is the church, in a large part in North America, not experiencing this rich and satisfying and joyous life that, that Jesus talked about? And I started reading and, and studying and, and talking to people. And it kind of all came together in the summer of 2009 where God allowed me to live a parable. You see, I had a, a dream that uh, I wanted to escape from Alcatraz. And I wanted to do that swim ever since I was a little kid. Remember the Clint Eastwood movie, Escape from Alcatraz? Like, I didn't want to do the prison part, but I wanted to do the escape part. It was just, it was just fascinating to me, and I uh, started to pattern my life to be able to reach that goal. And back in June of, of 2009, I got to realize that dream. And the, and the day before, uh, they, they had a special uh, tour and ferry for the athletes uh, to go out and, and to tour the island and to tour the prison. And as I walked through, I was just really taken by the, the hopelessness of, of the prison and got to hear the stories uh, that were written um, and had an audible tour as, as well of just the day, of day in and day out life of an inmate in the Alcatraz uh, prison. And what was resounding to me at that point, and what started to chip away at me was this, this idea of hopelessness that all of these inmates shared. But you know what? The strange thing was that that hopelessness was contagious because we got to hear the stories of guards as well and the families there and just, just the, the oppression that, that happened on Alcatraz Island. And one inmate in particular, I was reading his story and he would say that, that uh, he was talking about how New Year's Eve was the worst on Alcatraz. Because they would sit there and lights were out and they would have to be quiet. And they would hear life going on across the bay in San Francisco. And they would hear the party yachts all around them. And people all around them experiencing this, this, this laughter and, and celebration as they were prisoners of a life that they had led. This parable that I was living out the next day as uh, I boarded the ferry once again this time, uh, in you know, with in a wetsuit and and with a bunch of other athletes, and I was walking toward the ferry, and and and, and got to be honest with you, pretty pretty scared about the swim ahead. 
Like we had had to go through different training things where they told us all sorts of scare stories about being washed out to sea and, and all the currents and everything like that. And I was, I was really questioning myself and wondering if I was prepared enough. And as I, as I walk, was walking onto the ferry, there were a group of uh, volunteers carrying out arms and legs of prosthetic limbs. It just kind of was like this slap in the face. Just like, wow, you know, I'm here kind of nervous. And there's, there's other people in this life who are overcoming much larger obstacles than myself. Well, as we sat on the, on the ferry or were being ferried out there and they were telling us about the currents and what we would have to do and, and all these kind of different things, that a time came when it was time to leave the, the safety of, of the firm ground below me, and it was time to hit the water. And they were saying, go, go, go. And, and most people went, but a couple of people didn't go. That They chose the safety. They chose the security. And as I hit the water, it was everything that, that I expected, but at the same time, nothing that I knew all at the same time, and it was, it was petrifying, exhilarating all at the same time. And as I jumped off, my goggles came out, and, and I couldn't see, and I knew that I was in big trouble if I had to go the next you know, mile and a half, two miles, and the swim without, without the goggles. And I quickly got them on, and I started my swim. And what I found was in the swim, and my training took over, that, that I would, I would reach and, and, and pull, and I would kick, and I would try to get behind people. It seemed like they were on a better direction than me. And as I would, was going through this, in, later on in the days that followed, I realized that, that there, was a great, there was a much larger spiritual truth happening. That, I, that there, was, there was something that God was trying to teach me, and maybe this wasn't all about the swim, but maybe this was something about something larger. Maybe this was about a spiritual truth and speaking into this holy discontentment that I, I had been carrying. And as I hit the shore, it was, was kind of exhilarating, and, and my friends and family were there cheering me on, and, and it was this exciting exciting moment. And this is where the beginning of this idea of this parable started coming out. You know, I was reading in scripture and and one scripture came to mind in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, but the scripture declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You know, this idea of, of we are all prisoners of our sin, of our, of our brokenness. And the truth is that many of us, that are, all of us are offered this free life in Christ. But we have to leave our own prison. For many of us, it's a, it's a self-erected prison. And that the, at some point, at some time, we have to leave the known and we have to dive in to the unknown. And, it, and for many of us, it can be everything that we expected, but at the same time, 
realize it's nothing that we've ever experienced before. And it, like my goggles coming off, it can disorient us and it, and it can knock us off of our game. But the truth is that, that we have that choice. We have that choice to, to swim for freedom or to live an existence of an identity in our brokenness, in our sin. Connolly said this, we are all serving a life sentence in the dungeon of self. We are all serving a life sentence, but he didn't know that you don't have to. That somebody came to pay our ransom so we do not have to be prisoners of our own self, but we can experience the freedom in Christ. And this metaphor started coming alive in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul writes this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do so to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize, so run with purpose in every step. In this metaphor, you know, Paul was a huge sports fan, like all through the epistles. He's always making references to sports and running and, and all this. And in my mind, you know, I kind of switched this, this metaphor of running into swimming. And I was thinking about it and, and, and thinking about this, this purpose in every step. And I was thinking about, about the great commandment, how God tells us that, you know what, we have to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of uh, our strength, and love others as ourselves. And, and kind of thinking, you know what, if Jesus says that this is the most important thing, is this the part of, of discipline and purpose in every step that Paul was talking about? And I was thinking about the different aspects of needing to swim. There, there's the water, right? Not many of us are going to swim without water. But water is a tricky thing. Water is like our, our heart and, and our emotions. And, and let's face it, we can be emotionally stable and doing really good. But something outside of our control, a phone call in the middle of the night, or, or a careless word from a loved one can turn our, our calm seas into just a raging storm, right? And water is one of these tricky things that it can be great, it can be life-giving, but it also can kill us. You also, you know, running with purpose, you know, in, in swimming, you can be in the water, but you also have to, what? Breathe. You know, you're not going to last very long if you're in water and you do not breathe. And, and God talks about, and we'll go over this more in depth in the, in the following weeks, but, but God calls us, says that he breathes life into us. And this whole idea of, of, of air as we're going through, that, that air is soul. Yeah, also, in, in swimming, you know, you're, you're going along. In, in, in pool swimming, you can't get lost really and but in open water navigation you you have to you have to look up you can't just jump off of Alcatraz Island and just start swimming and figure you know an hour later you're there you'll be there somewhere but you won't be where you want to be 
And the same is true with life. And, and God has given us minds. Minds to, to, to use and to honor Him. So, so swim with purpose through the water with every breath, with navigation, with every kick. You know, I think about kick, and for most of us, our legs are the strongest part of our, of our body. You know, this, this strength that, that comes from, from just kind of this, this, this powerhouse of, of, of our legs. You know, our legs carry us and things like that. And this idea of entrusting our strength to God and using our strength to, to honor Him and bring Him glory. And then the final one with every stroke. And now stroke is an interesting thing, especially in swimming. You know, in, in one regard, your stroke propels you forward. But in another way, it also helps those who are behind you. And in the great commandment, it says equally as important to loving God is loving others. And swimming with purpose with, with, through the water with every, with every breath and every navigation and, and, and with every kick and every stroke, loving others as yourself. And Paul goes on to say, and Corinthians says, I am not just shadow boxing. You know, I'm not just throwing punches through the air. But I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. This is a very interesting idea, right? You know, you think about this, you think about Paul, and he's kind of this, 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 you know, just giant of the faith, right? But he has this, this fear. He has a fear of being DQ'd, fear of being disqualified. And I think a lot of times we look at, look at that and it's like, well, wait a second, if I'm following God and I'm seeking Him out with all of my heart and, and all of my soul and, and all of my mind and all of my strength and loving others as myself, you know, isn't, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough to obtain this prize that, that, that Christ has offered us? But apparently there was some sort of fear that maybe it wasn't enough. And, and, and that became really real to me last year. My son Eric... Uh, he loves triathlons, and he really loves to win. And uh, he had a dream uh, that he wanted to qualify for the national championship of, of Iron Kids. And he trained and trained, and, and I was really proud of him as a 10-year-old kid, you know, doing all his, all his swimming and his biking and his running. And, and the big day came, you know, we went up to the, to the qualifying race and there were several and he hadn't made it uh, in previous attempts. And we thought this was the time. Like he, he was disciplined like an athlete. He had trained. He had, he had done everything that he was meant to do. And the race started. I remember one of his, one of his most, you know, his kind of uh, weak areas is, is the swim. A lot of kids are a lot uh, better swimmer. I mean, in the open water, all sorts of things could happen. So he hits the water, and we're all excited, and he's, you know, we're cheering as, as, as he's going. And, and we were so excited when he started coming in that we, like, looked at the time, and we're like, wow, he's right on track. 
He's nailed it. He's doing great. And he goes into transition one, T1, and he changes and gets onto his bike and he zips out and his bike is one of his strongest things. And he goes and he's just jamming and, 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 and we just think, all right, he's doing so great. And he comes into T2 and we're looking at the clock and we're like, all right. He's right on track to fulfill his goal. And he goes into T2 and, and changes, takes his helmet off and runs out for the run. And he comes along and with bated breath, you know, we're wondering and waiting for him to come around the corner. Come to the final sprint. And, you know, as parents, uh, you know, tri- triathlete parents, you know, you know, we cheer for everybody, but we don't mean it. <laughs> You know, we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. What we're actually doing is going, yeah, yeah, they put your age in your category on the back of your calf. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's not in, not in his category, <laughs> you know. You know, go. I'm just being honest, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, I, we want other kids to do well, just not as well as our kid, right? And so we're cheering and everything, and he's coming in, and we're like counting them off. Like, okay, he's not, he's not first, but he's still... He's still, if he comes in pretty soon, that he'll be able to qualify. And finally, you know, he comes in, and he comes in right when we thought that, it, that he should come in, and, and he was in a qualifying spot, but nothing's official until it's posted. And, and we're excited, and, and we're like, we think you did it. And he's like, I think I did it. I was, you know, counting calves and counting calves, you know. Uh, uh, and... And, you know, I think I was there. And we're like, oh, yeah, we think you were there, too. And as the official starts putting up the, up the records up on the board, you want to see parents behaving badly? That's the scene. You know, I have no, no manners. Just, you know, push, push, push. And it's awesome. Like, everybody, I do this, too. So, like, reaching your camera up and, like, taking pictures of the board. Then you walk over and, you know, you zoom it on your, onto your phone and everything. Yeah, our priorities are all messed up, I know. And <laughs> welcome to living in a, you know, a personality kind of family. But, uh, you know, all of this uh, happening and, and the weird thing is the results were up and we couldn't find Eric's name anywhere. We're like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, all these other kids, you know, who weren't as fast as him, we knew his time, you know, they're there, and we're looking and looking, and we're thinking, surely there was a mistake. And then finally, with trepidation, I, I scanned down to look at the DQ list. And there he was. Eric McNeese in bold. That wasn't in bold, but that's, you know, just how I interpret it. He got DQ'd got disqualified because either there was a problem with his timing chip or, or he, he misread the course or uh, maybe one of the volunteers uh, pointed him in the wrong direction. We're not really sure why he got DQ'd, but the reality is that he did all of these things to be a success. <laughs> Just like Paul said, I ran with purpose. I was disciplined for a prize that wouldn't fade away. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training what should 
what it should do. Otherwise, I fear I might be disqualified. And here he was, disqualified. And he didn't even realize it. And I think that a lot of us, we, we get off kilter that, that, that maybe we listen to the wrong people or, or, or maybe we're getting the wrong information or we're not doing the right kind of training that Paul is talking about to move us toward the prize, the prize of a, a rich and abundant life. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul goes on to say this. He's all like, look, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all of these things, that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. What he's saying is I I keep pushing on to get the prize that Christ Jesus already possesses or won for me. This idea that we are moving towards something that that has already been done, that we do these things not because we can do it in ourselves, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And as we look at kind of the the the, the pattern of life. I think many times we, we approach life and we approach Scripture in such a convoluted way. We'll take one Scripture here and another Scripture there, and we'll take one teaching here and another teaching there, and we never put it together. We never put it together in, in an integrated, holistic package that, that makes sense. We take Scripture out of, out of context and not in the fullness of what it is. That's really what it came down to in, in this kind of learning process for me that, 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 you know what, there are some intertwined scripture that are critical for us to experience a rich and satisfying life. Those of us who are followers of Christ. And the first one is the great commandment. We talked about this last week. We touched on it. That Jesus' last words were, you know what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. That Jesus is saying, look, I want you to go out and tell people about me and to obey the commandments and teach them to be fully devoted followers of me. We talked about last week what are those commandments? Well, there's only one or two. It's uh, Mark 12. It's the great commandment. And there you must, lo- and therefore you must love your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the biggest troubling things that have, has struck me is how little we talk about the great commandment. Not here, but other places. Like, you think about it, if we're followers of Christ, that means that we are to follow his teaching and follow him. So if the person that we're trying to be fully devoted followers of Christ says, look, this is the most important thing, shouldn't we 
take that extremely seriously and integrate that and search it out and try to figure out what does that mean in our lives? How do we implement what Jesus said is the most important thing into our everyday life? Jesus' most important commandment for us was to holistically love God and to love others as ourself. And I believe if we do that, that we will f- be able to achieve this prize not of monetary wealth and things like that. I, I read Joel Olstein's book, uh, um, boy, it was about a year ago, like Your Best Life Now. Like, I don't know if you're a big Joel Olstein fan, but uh, like I can believe the shallowness of at least that book that I, that I read. Like the, the interpreting a rich and satisfying life is, as some sort of, of achievement of the American dream. Man, I, I look through Scripture, and that, that's, that's not a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life is 100% relational. Having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. Everything else is commentary. And focusing on those things. So when Jesus in John 10.10, in the context of him saying, I'm the good shepherd and I'm going to lead you, says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He's not talking about money. He's also not saying to the exclusion of money. There's nothing wrong with it. God blesses people greatly and entrusts them. I have a friend who tell, says uh, that people with a lot of money are, are afflicted with affluence. That, that it can be, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous responsibility that God entrusts people with. And he only entrusts a few with it. With, to be a conduit of his love and his good deeds and, and, and grace but to give them a rich and satisfying life, a, a security and knowledge that they have a Father in heaven who loves them and is looking out for them. Or in John seventeen thirteen, Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. That Jesus came to give us a rich, satisfying, and joyous life. that we as followers of Christ should be experiencing something different because we are in Christ than we would be otherwise. And like I was saying, I have a little graphic that a lot of times that we have this convoluted uh, uh, method in the next slide, I think, Evan, yeah, of like we just kind of like pile everything up and we're like, oh, this one scripture, I like it this way, and oh, this one scripture. And what ends up is we're going in every sort of direction. Have you ever heard like a compelling talk and you're like, oh, that's it. I got to apply that to my life. And you get all crazy about it. Right? I, I know you do. So I, I just, or you hear an idea or something like that. You don't have to admit it now. But what happens is when we don't look at the context of the fullness of Scripture and the fullness of Jesus' teachings, that we, we, are, we are like just, you know, feathers in the wind, you know, just moving from every place to every place, and we don't have any intentionality. We don't discipline ourselves, moving toward a certain prize. And this is what Jesus is saying. The prize is a rich, satisfying, and joyous life. 
not only in this earthly life, but eternally. And I can tell you this. If you are not experiencing a rich, satisfying, and joyous life, there is something wrong. There is something wrong because I got to tell you, it is real. I've talked to a lot of people who I, I believe are experiencing a rich, satisfying, and joyous life. And all across economic lines have gone through all sorts of different experiences and pains and triumphs in their life. But they all have something in common. This adherence to following Christ as closely as they can. And I think when you look at the fullness of Scripture that, that this, this mess becomes clear. We talked a little bit about this last, last week. That, that, you know what, when we live out the great commandment, when we live out what Jesus said is the most important thing, to love God holistically and to love others as ourselves, that that leads us to this rich, satisfying, and joyous life. And when we, as followers of Christ, are experiencing a rich, satisfying, and joyous life, that that actually becomes appealing to others. You know, think about it this way. Uh, Like up in Thomasville this week, I've been getting pictures of the judgment people. Have you guys seen those? Like apparently May 21st is, uh, is judgment day, so be ready. And you don't need to pay your mortgage this month. Uh, so you're cool. I always want to, like, judgment people, I always wonder if they pay their bills or not. Because, I mean, if I, Jesus come back May 21st, man, I'm, I'm not paying my bills. So uh, <laughs> I'm tithing, uh, but, but I'm not, the rest, nah. I have no idea where I was going. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to go have a beer with those guys. You know, I don't want to hang out with them, right? They just seem angry. They don't seem like they're it, like having this rich, satisfying, joyous life. They just seem like they're mad. Who wants to be with mad, angry people? I don't. You know, people I want to I wanna associate with are, 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 are people who are experiencing something more. Some translations call it an abundance. And again, I'm not talking about monetary things at all. I'm talking about something lasting and real. And I think that that moves us right into the great commandment that, that, that when we live these elevated lives that we will experience something more. And because we're experiencing something more that, you know what? Very rarely will we have to share the gospel in word because we are experiencing the gospel and sharing the gospel in life. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this place, this opportunity to just uh, open up your word and, and hopefully look at it in context. And God, I just pray over the next seven weeks as we unpack and and look at at the most important commandment that you've given us 
that we will learn how to apply it to our lives and that because we apply this to our lives that we will experience that prize of a rich, satisfying, and joyous life. In your name, amen. Wow.